The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Duncan Mock, reading scripture for us. Our scripture reading today is from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 7. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Praise be to Christ. Thank you, Duncan. I just kind of want you to keep reading at the end of that. Well, again, hello, I'm Russ Ramsey. I'm the pastor here at Christ Presbyterian Church's Cool Springs location. Happy Easter, everybody. It's great to see you all. Um, so much fun to see all the kids uh, in here this morning and now across the hall. Uh, and also just a big thank you to the volunteers who have helped put this morning together. There, there was a, there's been an army of people uh, covering a myriad of details this morning, and it's been so encouraging and fun to see things coming together. And uh, I love to just see the way people are using their gifts for the glory of the Lord. So... This passage from Mark. How, how derailed does your life have to be for God to lose interest in you? How's that for a question? How derailed does your life have to be for God to say, I, I can go this far but no further with you? Today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about failure we're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about God's purpose for your life. And we're going to do it through the story of one of Jesus' disciples in particular who factors into this passage that we just read. This account from Mark, the resurrection story, the women arrive at the tomb. They're the first to discover the tomb empty. And when they get there, they're met by an angel who tells them that Christ is risen, as he said, and that they will see him soon. And then the angel gives them instructions, and those instructions have two words that are really going to be the focus of this message. The angel says, but go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. So those two words, and Peter, why, 
Why did the angel say that? I want you to picture something for me in your minds, okay? I want you to picture a man suspended in midair. He's just leapt out of a boat, and he's about to crash into the surface of the water. But I want you to just picture him frozen in time, suspended between the boat and the water. And think of that perhaps as a metaphor for your own life. This is a person who threw himself out of that boat, which was kind of the life that he knew, into the water so that he could swim fully clothed to the shore to collapse at the feet of his best friend whom he had betrayed. He was a living contradiction, a paradox of faith and confusion, a paradox of courage and fear, a paradox of humility and arrogance. I am just like him. And so are you. We all are. I'm going to read a passage from John's gospel, part of his resurrection narrative, to set the stage for the rest of what we're going to unpack from these words in Mark and Peter. Tell the disciples and Peter. So this is from John 21. This is after the resurrection, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, that's the Sea of Galilee, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together, and Peter said to them, I'm going fishing, and they said, we will go with you. And they went and got out into the boat that night, but they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And he answered them, and they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. Now this was the third time Jesus revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
more than these. And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This was to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. That story has context. I've been drawn to Simon Peter since I was a teenager, first started reading the Bible when I was 15. I loved this person. He was kind of a character to me then. Uh, He's very real to me now. The reason I like him so much is because, one, and I just love this, he is presented in the Gospels as Jesus' friend. And I love the thought of Jesus having friends, like we have friends. He's also presented as somebody who regularly fails at being a good friend uh, to Jesus, but then also... Jesus' love for him never falters. That Jesus would love a man like Simon Peter bodes well for us, for you and for me. Peter was one of the closest disciples to Jesus, along with James and John, who were brothers. And one distinction that these three, Peter, James, and John, hold in the Gospels is that Jesus had given each of them nicknames. He called James and John collectively the sons of thunder, And he called Simon Peter, which means rock. And I think if you've ever wondered if Jesus employed a sense of humor, we get glimpses of it here with these nicknames. Because the nicknames spoke to a constant internal struggle between the courage and the hard-headedness of these friends of his. James and John... The sons of thunder, they they fought with each other over who would sit at Jesus' right hand. They sent their mother to Jesus to ask him to settle it. And she went and she did it. And I always laugh a little. If Jesus called them the sons of thunder and their mother is somehow involved, who, who is she then? But the reason they get this nickname, Sons of Thunder, is because they went into a town together, Jesus and the disciples, and the town was not hospitable to them, and they said, you know what we should do, Jesus? Actually, you should just rain down fire on this place and burn it to the ground. That's what they said. They were fiery. But they would also go on to lead the early church and to lay down their lives. James being the first martyr of the disciples. John being exiled on the island of Patmos. But as for Peter, he was the one who was the closest 
He was the one who, when, when Jesus asked who the disciples believed that he was, he spoke for them. And he said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And it was also Peter who, right after that, in, that, in the same breath practically, told Jesus that his, this talk of laying down his life was a terrible idea, which was actually a sentiment that was echoed by Satan during Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. You don't have to die, I can just give you everything. And so when Peter told Jesus after Jesus said, I, I will be betrayed and I will die and I will rise on the third day, and Peter said, Lord, may it never be so, Jesus looked at his friend and said, get behind me, Satan. Peter had a temper. We know that about him. But we also know that he would go on to be the pastor to the first Christians, even though he remained hard-headed sometimes and sometimes self-absorbed. But he would end up laying down his life for Jesus. And as tradition says, being crucified and requesting that it be crucifixion upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. But he would do what Jesus said was the greatest expression of love. He would lay down his life for his friends. And so the story of Peter jumping out of that boat comes on the heels of a pretty spectacular failure. And now when we find him here, he's returned home and he's back at his former trade, which is fishing. Only days earlier, in Jesus' greatest hour of need, Peter denied knowing him. And I think perhaps the most painful part of that denial was that he did it exactly as Jesus predicted he would. Before the rooster crowed. And when that rooster crowed that morning, Good Friday, something undeniably true came from the deepest recesses of Peter. And what that was, was that Peter had to reckon with the fact that he had been tested and had failed. There was no getting around it. And this collapse called into question for him, it had to have, the past three years that he had invested in being Jesus' disciple. After Peter denied him, Jesus went on to die on the cross. And it forced Peter to question the, what the rest of his life would look like, to ask the question, in light of so great a collapse, in light of so great of a failure, who, who am I now? What had he become? Some of you have asked that question. And it was a fragile moment for Peter, like it is for any of us who discover that the durability of our faith is not what we thought it was. When we come face to face with the fact that we're walking contradictions. Let me summarize Peter's contradiction because it gives us great hope. His contradiction was this. He loved Jesus. He really loved Jesus. 
And he denied Jesus. He really denied Jesus. Who among us, when we fail in big ways, doesn't wonder how much is lost? What, if anything, can be redeemed? Think of the grief that Peter must have been fighting as he went to fish. Not just grief over Jesus' death, because he he knew that Jesus had risen at this point. But it was grief over his own inability to love Christ well in the midst of his suffering. Friends need to be able to do that. And so in his heart, he had to have carried such, such disappointment, such a sense of failure. He was fragile, fragile to the point of breaking. And if Peter was anything like any of us, the expectations that he had for himself were so great that he was bound to fold under their weight at some point. And he did, spectacularly. These are the moments in life when we're tempted to try to reinvent ourselves. To give ourselves a new name. I'm going to change my name and just be somebody else. These are the times when we leave our families, when we find a trophy wife and buy a red convertible. These are the times when we join a hippie commune or try to live off the grid in Alaska. Shame and pride drive, drive us there. But many of us were only too glad to go down the road because it's the only way we feel like we can have any control over the narrative moving forward because if we stay, we stay as failures. What did Peter do? He went back to being Simon. He went back to fishing, to his trade, Fishing, there's nothing morally wrong with fishing. But as they were fishing, a man appeared on the shore and asked if they caught anything, and they said no. If you fish, you know the, how that exchange goes. Thanks for asking. <laughs> They'd been at it all night. And then the man on the shore said something to them that I contend and I will unpack for you that would have startled Peter. He said, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And Peter and John and James, their heads snapped up when they heard that. Why? Why would this have caught Peter's attention? Because he'd heard this before. His mind races back to when Jesus first called Peter to follow him and to be a disciple. Before I say another word, I'm trying to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit this morning. If if you are hearing me, whether you're in the room or, or tuning in via live stream, and you're somebody who your experience is I heard the call of the Lord at one point in my life. And then things happened. And I'm a long way away now. Consider that the road back 
is one step. Cast your net on the other side of the boat. His mind raced back to when Jesus first called Peter to follow him and to be his disciple. It was a morning not unlike this one. And Peter and his partners were fishing and they were not having any luck. And on that day, a man that they didn't recognize stood on the shore and said, put out into the deep and let down your nets. And the fishermen explained, look, we've been at it all day. We haven't caught anything. We kind of do this for a living. But they decided, you know, it can't hurt. And so they followed Jesus' suggestion and they caught more fish than they could pull in. And that was the day that Jesus fell down, that, that Peter, Simon, fell down at Jesus' feet and said, I'm not even worthy to be around you. And Jesus said to him that day, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. So fast forward to the man suspended in midair. As if waking from a dream, Peter has now realized that Jesus was recreating the moment when he first called him. The decision to go back to fishing was Simon Peter's way, was Peter's way of saying, call me Simon. But here's the thing, his life didn't belong to him anymore. He was not the one writing his own story. Jesus Christ had given him a new name, Peter. And he said, that means rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And even though Peter didn't yet understand what that meant, Jesus' resurrection guaranteed that Peter would never return to just being Simon again. Never. So Peter wrapped his cloak around himself, jumped out of the boat, and swam to the one that he had betrayed. Imagine it, throwing himself out of that boat, out of the life that he knew, out of the penance that he felt he deserved to pay. Into the water so that he could swim fully clothed to shore to collapse at the feet of his best friend. Not sure where they stood. And friends, if we come to Jesus at all, this is how we come. Desperate and at the feet of the one that we deny because we are living contradictions. But where else could Peter go? Christ alone has the words of eternal life. Peter had said that very thing when people began to turn away from Jesus because of a hard teaching he said, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, where are we going to go? You, you are the one who has the words of eternal life. What did Jesus do for that sad, sopping wet disciple? Ten our fathers. He made him breakfast. He made him breakfast. What wondrous love is this since the dawn of time? 
One man cooking a fish over a campfire for another man, there's no more universal way to say, not only do I love you, but I like you. He made him breakfast. And Peter stood there before his Lord, and as he did, Jesus just asked him the question, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep, fish for men. Three times he asked this question. He never questioned Peter's response. He never said, oh yeah, if you love me so much, how come when I was in there getting beat up, And they were asking if you knew who I was. You were all like, I don't know. That's not what he did, is it? He never questioned Peter's response as if he doubted him. Why? Because Jesus knew the truth. And what was the truth? He loved him. He's a walking contradiction. And he loved him. But each time Peter confesses his love, Jesus says, take care of my flock. What's he doing? He's telling his friend, you remember who you are. You remember who you are. You are Peter. You're Peter, the fisher of men. This is what I've called you to do. And my call on your life stands. You have not wrecked the story I'm writing. I want you to feed my sheep, just like I said you would do when we first met. The love that I have for you, the love that I have for you is the basis of that call. Not your record of righteousness, but mine. Jesus repeated the question, do you love me? So that Peter would have to reckon with it. He'd have to hear himself confess the unvarnished truth And that is, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. You know that I've failed you, but you know that I love you. And that's the paradox for every disciple who's ever walked the face of the earth. We love Jesus and we fail Jesus and we love Jesus. We really do. It's so important that we come to see ourselves like this because Jesus forces Peter to make this admission so Peter can take hold of what's true. Jesus is saying to his disciple and by extension to all of us, Peter, I don't need your righteousness, you need mine. And I have given it to you. Even now I'm writing your life and I'm using your existence for my glory. This is my story and you are my disciple. Friends, if a disciple as close to Jesus as Peter can fail as epically as he did, and still find himself firmly in the grip of the love of God, then you and I, when we doubt or when we struggle or when we fear or even when we fail, will not be separated from his love either. Many of you are in church because you leapt out of whatever it was you were in, in desperation, uncertain of what you would find, but you swam to the feet of Jesus. Many of us 
that's coming. George MacDonald, the great writer, said, to try to be brave is to be brave. May we try to be brave in believing that trying to be brave is being brave because the author of life controls the narrative and we are in his hands. And may his kindness toward living contradictions like us cause us to trust him even when we are afraid to obey him even when we don't understand his commands, to follow him even when we can't see where he's taking us. Because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power at work in the lives of those who believe. So here the angel in the tomb this morning saying to us, saying to the women on our behalf, go and tell the disciples and your name here. He is risen. He's triumphed over death. He has called you to himself, to a life of action that is leading you ever more in one direction, and that is to himself. The love between Jesus and his people has an enduring destination and glory, and no war in this world can destroy it, no failing among his people can break it, no power of darkness can subdue it. His love, which is so much bigger than ours, holds us up before him with all our failings and contradictions and bids us, follow me. So follow him. He's risen. Let's pray. Lord, your word is so rich. The narratives, the stories of your people, your engagement with your people to call us to yourself, to use us for your glory, even though we're contradictions of love and betrayal, of faith and doubt, of courage and fear. You work through us. Thank you for the reminder that you didn't need Peter's righteousness, but Peter needed yours. And that's what we're given in your life and in your death and in your resurrection. You take our sin upon yourself and you place your righteousness upon us and you give us life in your name. Thank you for the promise and the hope of resurrection. And we thank you that Christ is risen. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen.